I'm going to turn this over here. Happy New Year. My, Matt and I got resolved, you know, this afternoon after the Cowboys beat the Seahawks. I wasn't sure how the sound was going to go today. Obviously, he has, still has feelings. And I apologize for the Cowboys' victory. Um, it's, a, it's an exciting time. It's the new year. This is the year, time of year, people make really amazing new statements that some rarely follow through on. Some people get excited. Some people are like, eh, it's the new year. I've, I've been through 47 of these. I'm kind of, I'm over it. Others are young. They're excited about it. I don't know. I'm 47. I don't know how I feel about it. But I want to welcome you to Shoreline. Our, uh, our mission is to love God and love people that are around us, that we do life with. And today we're going to look into the Old Testament. We're going to look at a fascinating narrative about a prophet named Jonah. But before we go into Jonah, I want to tell you a story to kind of get our minds in the right place. At the turn of the 18th century, in New York, it was industrializing. Steel and concrete were being built and buildings were being built. But it also created a growing number of orphans in the city. These orphans were called street rats because their parents had died and now they were just all over the city. There were thousands of them. So a gentleman by the name of Mr. Reed had a heart for these kids. And what he began to do was what one by one he began inviting them into his family. He wanted to rescue them from a life of struggle and strife. But he also wanted to give them a new identity and being his new sons and daughters. So one day Mr. Reed calls Billy and says, Billy, I'm going to give you a mission today and I want you to go out to the street rats that live in the other boroughs of New York down in Brooklyn. And I want you to give them the same invitation that you responded to. Would you like to join our family? And Billy, a former street rat, goes, what? Are you nuts? Those kids that live in the Bronx, they're horrible. They're nasty kids. Why would you ever want them to be a part of our family? And Mr. Reed reminded Billy that he was once a street rat, and he was a pretty tough kid himself. But Billy says, I wasn't that bad. I mean, I was bad, but they're bad. You know, they came down to my neighborhood and they beat up one of my best friends. They're rough. They're horrible people. But Mr. Reed told Billy he loves the orphans. And he told him that street rats by nature are not good. But what what also, that street rats, what all street rats have in common is not their virtue, but their need for rescue. And the story we're going to talk about today is about people. And what they all people have in common isn't their virtue. You know that and I know that. You see it every day. But what they do have in common is their need of being rescued. Does that make sense? So Jonah, it's a fascinating, fascinating story. And we're going to look at that. And as we go through this narrative over the next few weeks... I want you to find yourself in this narrative. I want you to find yourself 
in the attitudes and the actions of Jonah. Jonah was someone who would truly die than rather be a part of God's redemptive plan. And I want to see if you can begin to see your thoughts and your expressions in the life of Jonah. But I also want you to find yourself in the deep amazement of the Father that we're going to look at too. The God who doesn't give up on street rats. The God who doesn't give up on people no matter how horrible they may be. He loves them. He loves them for what he deems valuable in them and pursues them when they are deserving of judgment. So over these next few weeks, you're going to be challenged to consider the attitudes and actions of Jonah as you either engage your mission or you choose to ignore your mission. And your mission of being an intentional Jesus an intentional Jesus influence in the lives of those people that God has put in your life. Strategically and supernaturally, God has put people in your life who you do life with. I didn't put them there, and you didn't put them there. God put them there. It's your relational world, it's your oikos. And my prayer is that you'll continue to be impressed and moved to action by the heart of God and how he loves the street rats like you and me. And even the horrible people that you might just rather them just go to hell. And I'll explain that in a little bit in our narrative. Let's start our story. It's a fascinating story. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. So in the 8th century BC, Jonah was from the northern part of Israel, known as Galilee in the New Testament. You may go, you may be thinking, Galilee, that sounds very familiar. Yeah, there's another guy that you might know that also grew up there. His name was Jesus. Back then it wasn't called Galilee, but I'm giving you a New Testament reference in the same region they both grew up in. And there was an empire that was growing powerfully and was called the Assyrian Empire. And they were building and developing just above the north of Israel. Later, God would use this nation of Israel to punish, this nation of Assyria, to punish Israel for their unfaithfulness in worshiping other deities. So this was a nation that grew once, it was very powerful. And when you think of prophets, a lot of times people think of prophets as they're speaking to future events and future people. That's how you come up with the word prophecy. But prophecy and future predictions was just a small piece of what prophets do. Prophets spoke to the people of their time to remind them of the covenant they made with God. Sometimes he reminded them. Sometimes he corrected them. Other times he uh, rebuked them. If that makes any sense. And usually when we read about the prophets, we're reading about their message to the people. And this book is so fascinating and it's so unique because this book is about the prophet himself, which is unique. And this narrative, it opens up with a boom when it says, now the word of the Lord. Over the last eight months, I've been 
sifting through scholarly articles, magazine, trying to get deeper in my Bible study. Trying to grow up in a Christian almost 25 years. And I've read the Bible so many times over. So when, when, I, when I went into the scholarly world just to get more insight and more, more understanding of, of the Bible, I found so much more than I can possibly imagine. It was like information overload, like people have to know this. How do I tell the church this? Because you can read a scholar and be bored to tears. Right. You can hear a scholar and cry for mercy, please stop. Because they're so academic. But that the stuff they uncover and know about the Bible is amazing. Yes. Yeah. So here is a, here's what I've learned. What is the word of the Lord? Are they consonants? Was it a voice? Was it a person? When you read that, you're left with what is that, that, that word of the Lord? What does that phrase mean? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Sometimes the Bible says a voice of the Lord came. You hear it's, it's, it attaches a voice. It gives you a, a context. And this, what is the context? I'm going to give it to you. In 1 Samuel 3, the pattern that God and how he selects prophets and patriarchs is that God shows up and meets with them. That's the pattern what God does with prophets. If God didn't meet with you personally, you're a false prophet because God met with his prophets to give them instruction. There was a woman named Hannah in the Bible. She couldn't bear children. So she asked God to give her a son. And so God gave her a son and she named him Samuel. And she's so grateful to God, she gives Samuel to the house of the priest named Eli to raise him one day, hopefully to be a prophet. And so young Samuel is a young boy in the house of Eli, and he's sleeping one day where all the priests sleep, and he hears this person calling him, Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up and he thinks it's Eli. So he goes over to Eli and goes, yeah, I'm here. What's going on? He's like, I didn't wake you. I, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed again, and he hears Eli, Eli. And so he gets up and goes, I mean, uh, Samuel, Samuel. So he gets up, Eli, what's going on? You need me. He's like, I, don't, I didn't wake you. Wait a minute. That might be God. Go back. Next time you hear that voice, say, speak, for your servant is listening. And so the Lord, Yahweh, came and stood. Look at the language. Came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Speak, for your servant hears, and then he tells me stuff. Then in verse 21, it says, And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. And the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. You're thinking, okay, wait, wait. So, so, so God came down in physical form? You know, in the New Testament, you read that two angels come down in physical forms. When Abraham was around, the three visitors came down. Spiritual beings can come down in, 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 in physical form. So I thought, I kept looking. And then I came into Genesis chapter 15, where God calls Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And so Abraham, that's great. I'm glad I'm your great reward. I'm glad you're my shield. But wait a minute. I can't have children. So my inheritance is going to go to my servant. And after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. What's a vision? Something you can see. It's not audio. It's visual. In verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, your servant, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. 
he took him outside and said, look at the stars. If you can count them, so shall your offspring be. So this phrase, the word of the Lord, is contextually with the language of a physical appearance of a person. Where have we seen that before? How can God come, come to earth as a person? Well, the writers of the New Testament understood the Old Testament. And they read it. And in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word of the Lord was God. He was with God in the beginning. And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among when Isaiah was called to be a prophet, he met with God. As you read your Bible and look at God's calling of prophets, you'll see you in Ezekiel, he met with God. They always meet with God. That's what made the difference between the false prophets and the real prophets. God met with them and gave them instructions. So back to our story, my first point. God loves you as well as those you don't love. God loves you as well as though you don't, don't love. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. There he is. He shows up. Physical form. And he says to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it. Because it's wickedness. Has come up before me. Remember, this message is entirely about another nation. It's a nation of Gentiles. It's a nation of non-believers. It's a nation of, uh, of non-Jewish people. Let me show you a map here of the area of, of, of Nineveh in the, in the nation of Assyria. In the time of Jonah, Assyria was at a weakened point in time. It was going through a transition of rulers. And in the 8th century, it's above and to the east of Israel. And the Bible has this phrase, its wickedness has come up before me. And it might be like God just became aware of their problems, their sins, but that's not the case. God is saying that it's now time to call Nineveh to my court and I'm going to judge them. So given this assignment, Jonah, like any good prophet, gets on his donkey and heads up to Nineveh. But this story goes in a whole different direction. Let's take a look. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Let me give you a map. So he goes down to Joppa. That's about 5,500 miles away from Nineveh. And then it was like northeast. And then he goes 2,500 miles northwest to Tarshish. Jonah is like, I'm not going to Joppa. I'm going to go to Tarshish. I am going to go to the end of the earth as they know it. Because I ain't going to Nineveh. I'm going to get so far away of what you called me to do, God. If you had a map and you were in the 8th century, you know that Jonah is going into no man's land. And that is the end of the earth. They had no knowledge of Australia, North America. I mean, like we do. 
They were like, that's the end. Once you get past that, we don't know what's out there. It's the end. Jonah doesn't get a boat, or Jonah doesn't need a boat to go to Nineveh. And we all, we, we get that. We, you, don't, you don't need a boat to go to New Mexico, right? Right. You, don't, you, you, you can't get there by boat. You have to drive there. My wife's family's from, from New Mexico. But the question is, why doesn't Jonah? Why doesn't he want to go? Why would he be so compelled to do the opposite thing that God has called him to do? Why? I mean, we're reading this account 20, 100 years later and going like, Jonah, I mean, Joe, what's the problem, Jonah? Get over there and lay it down. Lay the thunder. But let's put ourselves in the 8th century for a moment. Let's become an Israelite. Let's become a friend of Jonah who grew up in, in Galilee. Let's become him for just a moment. And if you lived in the northern kingdom of Israel, in that region of Galilee, you would understand why Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a massive capital city of a massive nation. And Nineveh historically and consistently demonstrated in their actions to be a horrible group of people. We have secular history. You can Google this. The Assyrians were intensely grotesque and despicable. If they took over your nation and you had little children, it'd make you vomit to know what they did to those kids. They're not going to care for them and they're not going to feed them. The Psalms have a little verse in there about how they treated the nation of Samaria when they overtook it. They just took the kids and they smashed them on the rocks. Because they're not going to feed your children. You're a defeated nation. And they are, there's, there's, there's poems that kings wrote bragging about how they tortured their conquered cities. Boasting in the way they tortured. And you're thinking like, what is a modern day equivalent to that? And I, I thought, well, what about ISIS? The Islamic State in Syria. They torture people. We've seen it. We've heard about them, how wicked they were. They drown people, put gasoline. We've heard the wickedness. And we heard about them. But do you think the Christians who are being killed by ISIS have a different feeling than we do? And the reason they would have a different feeling because they actually interacted with ISIS. We did. We're reading about ISIS. That's terrible. As I get my Starbucks. <laughs> They're interacting with ISIS. They know people that were tortured and killed by ISIS. So their feeling about it is a whole lot different than from you reading about ISIS. This was the same nation that God would use to punish Samaria later on. And if you're from Galilee, and God said, hey, I'm going to cast judgment. Who wants to go? I mean, you'd think they'd be growing. Like, Send me. I'll go. I'll go tell them. I mean, if God shows up and says, hey, the word of the Lord, hey, I'm going. You would think that Jonah would go over there, walk into Nineveh, and say, God is going to deal. Boom. And just leave. You would think it'd be easy to do that. But Jonah runs. The question is why? Why does he run? 
I'll tell you one thing for sure. He's not afraid of the Assyrians. He's afraid of God. As we unpack this book over the next few weeks, you'll see that Jonah is afraid of the compassion of God. He's afraid of the mercy of God. If Jonah walks into Nineveh and tells them about the judgment of God, Nineveh being in their weakened state, they're ripe for humbling, they might ask God to relent of his wrath, and God just might do it. So it's better for them never to hear the judgment from God so that they can only receive the hot fury of his wrath than go to the city and hint that God is going to deal with them. Jonah is afraid of how merciful God will be. When you run from God's calling on your life, God pursues you with the goal of recovering your heart and your purpose. You know, Jonah runs. God's trying to, he wants to recover him. And we're going to see over the next few weeks, when God, when we run from our purpose, God wants to recover our heart. God just doesn't want Jonah to conform and do what he says. He's trying to get a hold of his heart. He wants Jonah to get it. He just doesn't want you to conform. He wants you to understand why he's doing this. He wants, to see, he wants Jonah to be like, I get it, God. I see that you have a love for street rats. You have a love for the people of Nineveh. I get it. I see that. I'm going. Not just I'm going to go do it because I just I have to. God doesn't want that. God wants your heart. He wants to recover your heart. I'm not doing this oikos. I'm not doing that. God wants your heart. That's what he wants. That's all he wants. My second point. God won't make it easy for you when you run. When the Lord, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose, the ship threatened to break up. And all the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea just to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went down and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. You know, in verse 4, there's this, um, this is a great wind. You know how the Red Sea was parted? The Bible says it was parted by a great wind. God loves wind, right? This wind is just rocking the, rocking the foundations of the, of the sea. And these are weathered sailors. These aren't like, it's not like me, me and you going out to Oxnard. These guys, are, they, they go up, they're there all the time. They hardly see their families. They live on the sea. I go over there and I throw up. This is their profession. They've seen rough seas before. But to the sailors in their distress, they call for a higher power. But you know what's odd about that, that part of the Bible, that text? It's odd that Jonah's asleep. I, I keep thinking of another guy that fell asleep during a storm. And then he tells it was Jesus, Sea of Galilee. And it was the apostle. Get up, Jesus, we're going to die. Remember that? 
So I concluded that Jesus and Jonah are just deep sleepers. <laughs> They're just heavy sleepers. What the Bible's setting up here is an archetype. The contrast between Jonah and Jesus. Because Jesus refers to Jonah later on. The sign of Jonah. So there's a contrast going on. Jonah, who runs from God. Jesus, who obeys God. And as Jesus came to seek and save the lost, Jonah runs for them. They're both literally asleep in the belly of the boat. One obeys, one doesn't. So back to the sailors real quick. They're throwing their cargo over the... Imagine the feeling of you're about to die. First, the emotional trauma. <gasps> I'm, we're going to die, and you're just, you're just tra- traumatized. It's almost like being in a car accident going, I almost died. You know, that emotional stress of near death. So they go, I'm going to throw the cargo overboard. The cargo that other people paid me to deliver. I'm going to throw it overboard. If we survive this boat trip, if we survive the trip, I'm going to, get, I'm going to be in financial loss because I just threw over the very things you paid me to deliver. And what I find interesting about that is that the collateral damage that comes to people the people around us when we choose to disobey God. And these Phoenician sailors, for all intents and purposes in this text, they're innocent. Yet they're the ones who receive the consequences as a result of Jonah's disobedience. And I wonder how that works in our life. When you choose to go against what God says and the people around you suffer. Let's get back to the story. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What's your social security number? What people are you? Tell us. We want to know who you are because what is going on? They are freaking out. He answered, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. The reason why it terrified them, because in their culture, the person who controlled the seas and who defeated the Leviathan was Baal. Baal was the conqueror of the sea. Baal was the one who controlled the seas, called chaos. As you read in your Bible, that word Leviathan. And they realized for the first time that Baal's not in charge. It's Yahweh. What have you done? Because they knew he was running from the Lord because he had told them earlier. He got open. Amen. Point number three. God is at work even while you're running from him. The sea grew rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll be calm. I know that it's my fault, but this great storm has come around you. So this is, this is to me, I found this fact. Seasoned sailors, veterans of the ocean, people that spent most of their lives there, they asked the novice prophet who has no experience of water or boats, what should we do? They go to the rookie. Why? Because they realize 
this is no storm. Those those sailors realize this is an act of God. They've seen storms before. This was different. And since he's your God, you tell us what to do. And Jonah very matter-of-factly says, just throw me overboard. I will die a quiet death. The last thing you want to do is jump out in the ocean when you're on a cruise ship. Because the odds of you surviving are very slim. This was a death Jonah is saying, I would rather die. But what are some other possible things that Jonah could have, could have done? Because you might think, how noble. He's going to kill himself for the, good, for the better of others, maybe. Maybe he could have gone on his knees and said, God, forgive me of my hard heart and relent of this storm and let these sailors live. I'm sorry. I could have done that. But instead he says, yeah, throw me over. I'd rather die than be, and be spared and have to go back to Nineveh. I'd rather die than be intentional with my faith with those around me. I'd rather die than bring up Jesus to my neighbor. I'd rather die than talk about Jesus and influence with my friends at work. I'd rather die than do that. Do you find yourself in the story of Jonah? Because I find myself there. How bad do you intentionally not want to be a part of God's redemptive plan? How much do you have to hate people for them not to have a chance to know the holy God? Jonah is an easy target. I mean, we can throw rocks at him all day. I mean, it's easy. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Everything I read you in the text is true. But how about you? Have you decidedly chosen to keep quiet about the great news of Jesus in the lives of those around you you have reason to hate? Gee, I'm not a hater. I'm a lover, not a fighter. I'm not a hater. I don't hate people in my heart. I say this. Just maybe you haven't impacted your prejudice enough to see what's really in there. What about the doctor? that misdiagnosed you or one of your family members? What about the man who walked out on your sister and their kids? What about the boss who has dealt cruelly with you for years? What about the the wife who left you for another man? What about the parent who abused you or neglected you for years? What about the guy in your life who supports President Trump? (laughs) Or the woman who supports the Democrats? That's a hot one right there in our country. I have a feeling that there's a few people on that list that you shoved away, shoved down, don't want to talk about it. But if you're honest with yourself, you'll realize that you're not so lily white in in thought in terms of your innocence of hating people. You have cause. I'm not saying you don't. But I want you to look at the mirror today. I want you to look at the mirror as you look at the book of Jonah and find yourself in the story. He's very easy to vilify. But as we read about him, we need to see ourselves. 
But what if it's not them? What if it's not the people that hurt us? What if it's people who haven't done anything to us? But you just don't want to make the effort because of what it's going to cost you. If I have that conversation, it's going to make the relationship awkward. Gio, I'd love to talk to my neighbors if I knew their name. Can you honestly say you don't, I mean, you can, you can probably honestly say you don't hate them. But you certainly can't say that you love them either. And Jonah's in this place. The opposite of love is not hate, but indifference. For a long time, we would think that going over to someone and pushing them and kicking them in the shins, that that would say, I hate you, I hate you. But to show someone a lack of love is simply to act as if they're not there. I don't have to hate them to not love. All I have to do is ignore them. And Jonah was a prophet. He fulfilled the office of the prophet. He's okay with telling his Israelite friends, this is what God says, but he will not tell the Ninevites what God has said. Because they deserve every inch of God's wrath. There are people in your life. The question is, do you care enough about them to engage them? Do you care enough to engage your neighborhood, your neighbors? The story continues. Instead, the men did their best. You gotta love these guys. They don't want to throw Jonah over. It's like, okay. Jonah's like, throw me over. Like, I can't do that. It's, It's not right. So they go back and try to row. You ever try to swim out of the ocean when you're caught in one of those little streams that goes back out? What's it called? A riptide? You ever try to swim out of riptide? And that's how people die because they go, I can swim back, I can make it back. And they go, I'm going to drown now. That's how they die. They're trying to row back to land, but the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord Yahweh. Please, Lord. This is, this is Jonah's God. Please, Lord. They said, forget Baal. We know who Yahweh is. Forget the Lord. Don't let us die. By taking this man's life, they decided to throw Jonah over. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord. For you, just make sure. For you. Lord, you have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Isn't that wild? In the midst of Jonah's reprimand by God, these sailors see God's power and authority and they respond. Mm-hmm. Jonah's a story about a religious insider who hates those outside of God's family, especially the Ninevites. I think about what Jesus talked to the Pharisees when they had a problem with Matthew and the tax collectors. His friends came to his party and Jesus was there. And the Pharisees were like, why is he hanging out with them? 
And he told the story of a prodigal son and a good faithful son. And the prodigal son went out and was wasteful. And then he came back and his father threw a party. And the older brother was so angry at his father's compassion. So angry at his father's mercy. Jonah has a lot of time, ties into a lot of parables of Jesus. Jonah was not afraid of the Assyrians. He was afraid of God's mercy for the people that he hates. They deserve his wrath. I asked you in the beginning if you would be willing to see yourself in the story. Are you willing to go to those that you've ignored and be intentional? Be Jesus intentional? Or will you be like the rebel prophet Jonah? Tune in next week for another installment of our rebel prophet, Jonah. Thank you. Have a great fellowship. That concludes our service.